0: Welcome to Insight Intercom, an occasional podcast on startups, product management, and design. In this show, Intercom co-founder Des Trainer talks to product designer Peter Merholtz.
1: Today, I'm joined by Peter Merholtz. Peter is a Senior Director of Product Experience at Jawbone, and before that was a founder of Adaptive Path. Welcome, Peter. Uh, thank you. Happy to be here. Great to have you. So. We're going to talk a bit about product management. Uh, we both have opinions in this and we've talked about it before. so one thing I'm uh, interested in, the role has become so popular lately, and whenever you Google it, you get all the sort of older papers, and the most common phrase we hear is, "The product manager is the mini CEO." What's your take on that?
0: Um, uh, a friend of mine, Jonathan Corman just tweeted uh, about this very topic and said that if you believe the product manager is a mini CEO, you know, neither what CEOs do nor what product managers do. And that's probably kind of how I feel about it, right? The, a CEO is, you know, the, 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 the person most responsible for the success and health of an entire organization Um, uh, primarily financial health of an organization, product managers trying to ship product. Um uh some product managers have business case responsibilities right business you know they're they're responsible for for some to form a P&L uh that that suggests uh, uh their success but that is that is not CEO behavior and it's also not true of all product managers um uh, it kind of depends on where that how that product fits within other products within an organization so um, you know I, I I don't know if I necessarily have a definition of a product manager just because I think there are a number of different ways to tackle it and it feels to me like it's a field a practice a role that is maturing um, uh, but I would definitely not refer to it as the CEO of a product right
1: that I mean that certainly rhymes in my experience I think the There is definitely a blurry definition that I think that's kinda caused by it kind of depends on who else is on the team and what and like what are the roles are fleshed out. Like if you've a really like mature senior experienced designer and like a really great like say like advanced sort of mature engineer who like both of whom have shipped a lot of software before, to to introduce this third person as a mini CEO makes no sense. Right, right. Um, conversely if you've got like somebody who's the only consistent thing, like as in they've contracted in design and they've contracted in engineering, sure call yourself the CEO but it's You call yourself whatever Right, right, right right. No, Um, it makes sense Do you think a design background is advantageous, necessary, optional
0: for a product manager? I would say it's advantageous and optional I I just spoke about this I went over to Tradecraft Which is kind of a school here in San Francisco Similar to General Assembly Where people Mm -hmm. with like one professional background Shift into a digital product professional background Because that's where the jobs are And talked a little bit about this there in that there's, um, I think, there's an assumption that there is a way to do product management. So product management has become kind of the singular definition, unlike designer, right? You have visual designers and product designers and interaction designers and UX designers and engineers. You might have... You know, whether it's the the technology they're working on, iOS or web, the kind of stack, the kind of of language, you you recognize flavors, but product manager is always product manager. And I think that speaks to its immaturity because kind of depending on the nature of the product or the part of the product that you're working on, you might have uh, something that's more consumer facing, you might have something that's more technical, you might have something that's... um, uh, uh, a, a more of a, a, an analytics challenge yeah. whatever it is and so you want to find product managers who can speak yeah. who can address whatever that product need is or feature need right. is frankly a lot of product managers work at the level of feature as opposed to product yeah. at least that was my experience at, at, at Groupon and so if you're doing consumer facing product it is that is where it is most definitely advantageous to have that design background and what I think we're seeing more of uh, are people with design and UX backgrounds becoming product managers yeah. in those types of contexts right. because leadership is recognizing, oh, that's a perspective that actually helps us deliver better product as long as those design leaders also understand the technical yeah. and business yeah. underpinnings. Yeah.
1: What does um, what does that becoming look like? Is it just like, you, update, you know, like I used to joke like, you know, step one is to update your linkedin profile right like you but like you know it's definitely a trend i'm seeing that people who like who definitely they have a lot of components that would make them what in like 2007 we would have called like a ux designer they've got like you know good empathy and you know reasonably decent abilities to research things and chase things down um what's the like what's the bit that they add to that that makes
0: them product manager yeah, I think the bit that they add to that that, make, that makes a designer a product manager is a recognition that design isn't the end-all be-all of the work to be done. Uh, there's a recognition and, and an appreciation for understanding the business context in which the design work is happening. an engagement with the uh, technical capabilities and constraints, um, which not, not every designer has that interest. A lot of designers love the craft of design and want to do design, design, and that's great. But then you find other designers who tend to think a little more systemically and feel that their designs are better when they understand the business and technical constraints. And those designers tend to be the ones who then become product managers because they're already kind of operating in that mode. Um, uh, it doesn't, and, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be like a formal distinction. At, at Groupon, uh, I hired a old school UX guy, with a very similar amount of experience as I had uh, as a design manager uh, for a team. And as an old school UX guy, I mean, this was true when I was working at Studio Archetype in ninety seven ninety eight. You know you worried about technical constraints you try to understand the business challenges right you were sitting you, those were all factors that, yeah. that informed your design work and that's how this guy continued to practice to the degree which I had a meeting with a product manager who was working with that team not yeah. as part of that team and he thought this design lead was the product manager for that product right. because the product manager I don't want to say was incompetent, but was basically a technical manager. Yeah, uh, Groupon had a philosophy of hiring CS uh, backgrounded product managers because it, they saw product management largely as engineering management. Right, and that is that is a strain that pretty much started with Google, and you you've see in a lot of places. Um, the problem is when you're trying to create a product for a consumer audience, that doesn't get you that far. And so this guy appreciated, you know, th- those concerns, but but brought other things to the table and was basically driving uh, feature prioritization, driving the roadmap, having the conversations with engineering and other product managers and other designers to make sure it was all going, having conversations with other like product managers outside of his team to make sure they knew what was going on. So he was acting like a product manager. It just happened he was the design lead and he was just filling a gap. That work wasn't being done. So he's like, well, I can do it, so I'll do it. And it turned out by any other name that was product management. management and I think that's how a lot of designers find themselves in product yeah. management roles is they do it without realizing it it's just it's something that needed to get done yeah. and people are like hey that's kind of like product management <laughs> oh yeah. it's its interesting
1: like you know the, the trait there seems to be like an excessive amount of curiosity as in like if you're not satisfied with like decoupling like you know as in you hand over your, your Photoshop files or your wireframe and some people are like you know onto the next one like I want to go keep I want to go back and keep designing that's what I do. Or other people are like what happens now? Right, And, right, and, right. and, and like you you know all the, all those forms I designed or those screens I designed or that mobile flow did that work? How right. is, how's, it, how's it performing? What do people think of it? I think if you have that like drive of curiosity, it tends you end up either ruffling feathers or becoming a product product manager. Right, 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 right. No, I think
0: that's right, and I think it, it's it's a characteristic that you find among people who. Um, at least historically kind of gravitated towards that UX design title. Um, uh, uh, because they're they're interested in use. They're interested in 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 closing that loop. And oftentimes are frankly less interested in design craft. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, and I'm speaking kind of from my own personal experience and, and mindset, right? Design is a means to solving a problem. And that problem is get you know delivering some experience, getting yeah. some engagement, solving some problem that that, that in, in the world. And you want to know did it work? Um, uh, and so yeah, you're kind of you're 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 paying attention to a, a different set of concerns. Yeah. Um, and you might not be going as deep on design craft, and you might not be you know um, uh, Wilson Miner, Mike Mattis, just delivering yeah. things that are beautiful and amazing, yeah. Yeah. but. Uh, Your what you are delivering, you're making sure is getting better and better with every successive generation. Is, is delivering on whatever the value was that had been identified. Sure, that
1: that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing I then wonder is like, if you take a like you know take a startup like you know you know a couple of people in a garage type startup, um, does like is the role of product management like? Paired with like entrepreneurship, or does it exist before the product exists? Before the product exists,
0: um, I think it could, right? I mean, def- product management. So I'm not thinking about it from the garage startup mentality, right? But like we've been talking a lot about process here at Java, and I'm at part of this like little ad hoc committee trying to think about how we can work as project teams better. Uh, we tend to be a little more functionally organized. You know, designers, engineers, product managers, and then we have a project a program and we pull designers and engineers on it they work on it and then they move on to some other thing and we're trying to move away from that model to one where the same designers and engineers continue to work together on a program over time it's not not rocket science but it's, it's it's something we're we're evolving into and i think for us the challenge and I think this might actually be interesting for your audience. The challenge is evolving from a hardware company to a software company. Because right. on hardware, you can do that. Once you yeah. ship a product, it's literally shipped out the door, in boxes, on shelves. Yeah. And you do move on to the next thing. You don't iterate necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might do the next generation of it. But yeah. you kind of, yeah. there is a starting over that happens. And the challenge here is how do you take, you know, is, is moving away from that hardware driven product management mindset towards a software-driven one that is going to be more agile, that is going to be more iterative, that is going to, that warrants, that's never done. Launch, ship slash launch is the beginning, not the end, whereas in hardware, ship is the end. And so um, in that kind of model, to answer your question about does product management happen before the product begins, potentially, right? A product manager working with a designer and engineer um, we've we've been borrowing from Spotify. If right, you've yeah. dug into the spot, what Spotify has written about product management, and they have the um, dream it, think it, build it mm-hmm. model, yeah. um, and that dream it model where you don't have anything, you yeah. know, product management can definitely play a role there uh, uh, in in uh, helping shape whatever that initial idea is. Um, and there's still there's no product. It's it's an idea. So. I, I, you know, the short answer is yes. Yeah. Um, it kind of depends on again how you define product management. One of the key things that I think is part of product management that often wasn't considered even before you necessarily identify a business case and understand um, uh, how this is going to generate revenue, etc. There's 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 a an experience strategy that uh, you want to develop that can can help you figure out just what that thing is that you're going to try to build a business case against. And that's, again, where I think folks from user experience backgrounds have been developing experience strategies, not realizing that in doing so they were doing product management because it wasn't seen as part of that. Uh, Product management was about business strategy and maybe a technical strategy married together. Well, it turns out it also needs to have that experience strategy in order to be complete. Um,
1: That's um, An interesting part of it, I just realized I have to shift from hardware to software, is like hardware has that sort of shrink wrap software like uh, tendency to it that once it leaves the building it's really, really you, know, you can't really afford to get it wrong too many times right um, unlike software where you can like use uh, lean or agile as effectively as like you know as escape routes right right um, what um, like do you think that uh, you know what's your take on this you have to get, you, you know, because you have to get it right when it's hardware, uh, you can probably justify yourself more research, more upfront uh, thinking, thought, uh, consideration, right. more ath- attempts before you go into manufacturing. The lean or the agile world would have you ship a lot quicker, make a lot more mistakes, possibly like, you know, spoil your reputation a lot earlier. Um, have you, as you see that shift happening here, like are people here like excited about going like oh sweet now now we're agile we can make mistakes or it, are you carrying the same discipline that you had when it was like you know hard work?
0: Yeah, we're we're bringing some of that hard work discipline, in. and it's one of the things that um, I really appreciate working here is a recognition of the value of that early exploratory work to figure out. Um, why you're doing something and what you should do before you start executing against it. And it's born of that hardware practice where because of the the, the risk involved in in, in in the money that you're going to commit to, you know, spinning up a factory and, and, and shipping hundreds of thousands, if not millions of units of something, you wanna mitigate that risk through lots of exploration and, and, and pre-shipping um, uh, uh, iteration. Um, when it comes to software, we're doing some of that. Now, like, you know, and I've spoken about this publicly, I'm not a fan of ship early, ship often, um, kind of uh, uh, just for its own sake, which I think is kind of how people uh, think about it, right? I have an idea, let's get something out the door in a week, see what people think of that idea, and then iterate in public. Yeah. Um, I still think there's more value to be iterating in a prototyping internal mode when when things are uh, uh, when when you can iterate more quickly uh, and, and and you're still feeling your way at forward mm-hmm. than trying to ship something sooner and iterate in public. The way I tend to talk about it is um, with you know uh, a lean model. You can you can ship your first build sooner. But you, it will take you longer to ship the right build yeah. than one where you've done some of that work up front before you did yeah. that first ship, but you really nailed in what it is that you are trying to put out in the right. world. Um, and it's there's a balance to be struck. You know, It's a failing if you spend too much time in that earlier kind of definition phase, yeah. exploring ideas and concepts the market can move yeah. before you're, before you're uh, uh, done. Uh, and so I think that's kind of born of experience trying to figure out, okay, how much time do we spend exploring ideas before we then start executing against it? And you're going to get right. it wrong at, at first and then kind of figure out your own cadence. But um, we do do that upfront work, that upfront research, that early exploration and concepting before... Uh, we ship stuff and folks are happy to do that they don't want to just like ship things for the sake of it especially because we do a lot of work in mobile design which is uh, you know that's our primary platform is native uh, uh, iOS and Android and it's a pain in the ass to yeah. To to iterate, it's, web is way easier to be lean on right. than mobile yeah. uh, for any number of reasons, and so you want to feel pretty good about what you're putting out in yeah. the market when when you're doing when, when you're yeah. mobile native first.
1: Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not even convinced personally that yeah. uh, that like that it makes that much sense in web anyway. Like, I, I think genuinely like, like this a lot of this has got to do with, like how your product, Mike end up your go to market plan is like if you're hoping your product's going to go viral and you roll a, a shit up it's not going to go viral right. and, and, and you've also burnt your 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 launch news story and you've, every single chance you had to get people to look at you you've basically spoiled right and um, you're like if you're in the app store you're gonna have a one-star rating or or like or maybe a three-star rating but you're not going to be like hey this thing is hot let's try it so i think people assume you get like 15 chances to launch but you really don't like you know, like. Like, how many times am I going to try out the latest, you know, fitness tracking app from somebody? Right. I'll try it once and I'm not particularly impressed. I'm going to be like, okay, I, you know, you were doing well to get one try out of me. Right. You're not going to get a second one next right. week because right. the team had another idea.
0: Right, um, right, right. You, at most, you'll move on to a different app yeah. if you're still interested in the space. But yes, once, once you have... A bad experience you know I, it like I remember when path launched yeah. everyone was very excited about yeah. it I played with it it didn't make any sense to me I didn't play with it yeah. they basically recognized that they had messed up yeah. and then you know at some point did a 2.0 that I didn't play with for the longest time but eventually people I knew started using it yeah. and I like years later came back but yeah. whatever whatever goodwill they had built in, yeah. and interest uh, in buzz yeah you know as I think we still see they haven't really been able to capture that totally and also like I'm not you know the other part of like the other piece I'm puzzled
1: by is the idea that there's like somehow value in me installing your app and deleting it within a week like that you're going to get massively great feedback from that you're going to get a couple of usage points uh, maybe if you've got your analytics really good you'll know i went over to the friends tab and i came back and i went over to the updates tab and i came back and then i closed and i deleted the product right you know it's right, like oh right. well now now we know what to do next <laughs> you know I, i'm not convinced right. that like the the, in, the mad insight is there or at least i'm convinced you you could surely replicate such insight in-house without launching you know um all right let's maybe talk a little bit about about team structure which is um the topic you spoke about uh uh uh, So, um, one key point from your talk was, you know, you were talking about how design gets located in a software team. And, you know, the most, like, I think, uh, you know, we've, in Intercom, we've gone from, like, you know, 4 through 16. We're now, like, 100. And we've had different versions of this. uh, 100 total in the company? 100 total in the company, yeah. And. I guess like there was definitely design as a unit as in like talk to the designers you know uh, and that was when we had like one or two designers and then uh, there's design as a part of each team so there's a designer in each team Um, you spoke about the two the sort of pros and cons of each of them and you proposed
0: design as a centralized partnership can you talk us through that yeah and it and it the centralized partnership is kind of where i landed in my work at groupon and and i i don't i coined that term i'm sure i'm not the first to to realize that form of organization but it was a i see it as an evolution of how design teams within companies uh uh, work Uh, initially so back when i started doing this type of stuff um 20 years ago uh, at least in enterprises um design teams were essentially internal services firms right, right. You, if if your company had a design team which most yeah. didn't you know if they would outsource design that's why there were so many design agencies but if you if you had an internal design team they basically were as if you had an agency internally and they would work on projects as they came up and they kind of people designers get farmed out to execute on a project, and then they come back to the centralized design team, and then wait for the next project right. and get farmed out again. And it could even be like like an agency in that there'd be a chargeback model with that, right? You, right. You'd understand cost centers yeah. and, and kind of what is what are these uh, different business units paying for design. Um, and the 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 problem with that model is that that really reduces design to this execution function. Uh, make it pretty all the hard problems have been kind of figured out all the all the major decisions have been decided upon we now need someone to make it pretty put it up make it on brand etc and a good designer coming in even late into a process like that as they're building something should will probably recognize problems in what it is that they're uh, designing uh, problems that had already theoretically been decided and might try to push on those but because that designer doesn't really have skin in the game. They're not part of that team. They're not seen as, as committed or dedicated to it. It would be easy for whatever that part of the business is to just dismiss the designer's um, uh, concerns and contribution. So so that's one model. Then, as design is being taken more seriously, particularly in Silicon Valley kind of contexts, tech companies, product, these types of digital product companies, what's happened is, is that design has become embedded in these product teams, right? So it's not a centralized internal services firm. It's embedded in all these product teams um, and, and, or feature teams as, as the case may be. So for example, the, what I use in my talk is this idea of an e-commerce experience, right? And you'll have a, a product or feature team dedicated to search and browse and, and another one dedicated to the product page and another one dedicated to reviews and another one dedicated to the checkout flow. Okay. And those teams will have three, four, five, six engineers, usually one product manager and one designer. Um, and the, the good thing about that model by decentralizing and embedding is that you now have a designer on that team, dedicated to that team. That team respects the contributions of the yeah. designer and the designer's there all the way through the development process. The problem with that model, though, is that the designer is working on their own, yeah. usually not coordinating with the other designers. They're they're the people they work with most are non-designers, people who yeah. don't understand them, don't think like they do, don't speak the same professional language. Um, uh, they can get they get lonely. They, you know, they we've, I mean, I've heard that from from folks throughout my career who found found themselves in this environment, and the experience will fracture um, uh, because. These designers are solving problems in isolation from each other, and they might be doing a good job if you could isolate that feature. But when you pull all these features together, you start running into problems. They don't—they don't really weave together appropriately. And so, I—that wasn't that model wasn't going to work for me as I was organizing the team at Groupon because I needed a coherent experience across all those features. Uh, uh, it's the same shopper. Yeah. going through all these features and I didn't want anything to get in the way from the shopper's perspective does it feel like is the knock on effect
1: like you're going through subtly or maybe obviously different eras of design of different it can design be. skills yeah
0: no I mean that's that's what happens uh, I don't know how conscious the shoppers are of yeah. it um, uh, when I give this talk I don't actually use a commerce example yeah. I use Facebook and I haven't done it recently. A year or so ago, though, I basically clicked on the left-hand nav uh, from your Facebook newsfeed homepage, right, yeah. and you know, so you click into photos, you click into Messenger, you click Bruce. into apps, whatever it is. And each of those products within yeah. Facebook is, apart from the blue and aerial, totally different in its design. Some have left-hand navigation. Some have top navigation. They. The, the, the orientation of what's in the middle is different and, and kind of how you interact with it like it's right. it, it, there's no there's no systemic cohesion cohesion and that could be okay for Facebook that, you know if they're approaching themselves as a as a portfolio of products okay. um, that people are maybe dipping into one or two by and large and ignoring the rest okay. that could be okay at, at a in a in a in a in an experience like Groupon's or, or any e-commerce where you're leading people through a flow very purposefully, you have to make sure that, that that is coherent. And so so the organizational model that I hit upon, you know, that I call the centralized partnership is trying to have the best of both worlds. So the whole design team was centralized under me as, as the head of design. Um, and uh, uh, we... And, and when I started, there were about 30. When I left, there were about 60. Those 60 people were broken up into t- roughly 10 teams. So, you know, anywhere from five, six, seven folks per those teams, some smaller, some bigger. And um, But those teams were dedicated to specific parts of the product, right? So I had a consumer platform team. Right. And those people worked on kind of like what I was explaining with respect to the e-commerce, they worked on anything that every Groupon user would touch. Whereas we had lines of business, right? We had the local line of business that's about the daily deals and, and kind of going, you know, restaurants and spas and all that stuff. We had the goods business, which is more traditional e-commerce business, and then the getaways, which was a travel business, right? And so those those lines of business had dedicated design teams as well because there's things that are specific to them. Yeah. And then this platform business was responsible, though, for for the 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 stuff that is common to everyone, and um, and there was a set of product teams that worked on plat that worked on stuff that we just dis- determined as platform, like uh, what we call funnel optimization, which was okay. essentially the checkout flow, uh, stuff like that. And so, the best of both worlds meant this team of people, this team of six or seven people, was consistently working against these six or seven products. Right. They would never work on. Uh, these six or seven platform people would never work on a, a getaways product right. team like that. We wouldn't cross those lines. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so you had that degree of commitment and, and engagement that you want from, from the embedded designer. Um, you know, people who understand the full life cycle of that part of the product and, and, are, and are deeply wedded to it. But by being part of a team, by not embedding someone in the funnel optimization team and someone in the user-generated content team and someone in the personalization team who weren't talking to each other, by by being one order above that, we ensured that there was consistency across those product teams. The design team basically had, uh, uh, and this was this was intentional. Talking, you know, I, I would talk to my boss who was the head of product about this. Right, the product teams were meant to be these autonomous forces, kind of pulling in all directions as they saw fit and then the design team was this counterbalance that was meant to kind of cohere that effort and make sure it wasn't going off in in too chaotic and too fractured a mode so that was that was the centralized partnership key to making that work is design leadership you know i was a vp 20 years experience i inherited will remove the communication design and user research teams because I have those reporting up to me. But if we're focused on product design, I inherited what felt like this pile of 13 product designers that are all in their (laughs) mid-20s and who are just kind of pinging around the organization like pinballs. And so what I spent my first... Nine months, you know, much of my first nine months doing uh, when it came to recruiting and hiring was finding design managers and design directors that I could form these teams around. I could form a platform team around, form a local team around, form a goods team around, a getaways team around, and start providing shape. And um, before we hit record, we were talking about kind of managing up and managing down. These these design directors, they became this kind of crucial uh, leverage point within, not just design, but within the organization, because through them they would manage down and get the most out of the team, manage across and par- work with cross-functionally with, with the director of product management, and director of engineering, and manage up and make sure the executives and stakeholders, you know, those senior stakeholders understood what was going on. And that managing across was, was perhaps the most important because before I had that, those leaders, I would have a 25-year-old product designer Talking to a 35-year-old product manager, right, with 10, 15 years' experience, maybe an MBA, and then some dude who's, you know, a hotshot designer, but not a lot of, not a lot of experience, not a lot of, of, of gravitas to bring to certain yeah. conversations, and that that doesn't—I I don't know if this is the fair analogy, but it basically it led to an unfair fight, yeah. right, where where the designer would just basically do what the product manager said yeah. because they didn't have the ability to meaningfully push back. By bringing in design leadership who could engage them more as those those product managers as peers, that allowed us to drive design thinking back into the product more more actively. Right. Um, yeah.
1: That's interesting. Like in terms of the consumer platform team, there. Like, did they own, like, a sort of pattern library for yep. all of the, con- and, like, but that was their property? That was their
0: property. That was one of the key things that they owned was, uh, we called it the gig for Groupon Interface right. Guidelines, but you um, can imagine it yeah. as, uh, it's like Twitter bootstrap, right? right? A library of, of design patterns and code snippets and right. all that stuff so that, those could ideally be farmed out to all these different teams. Yeah. I, I considered them, the analogy is a little bit flawed, but I basically considered them, the platform team manufactured the Legos, and then the other design teams would build put together, put together those Legos to create whatever they needed. And sometimes they would have a special problem, yeah. and there were two ways to solve that. They either fixed it themselves and yeah. submitted that back to this kind of platform team that also ended up serving almost in like that open source model like that's approved or not approved or like that is that is that is canon or or not or they would go to that to the platform team and say hey we need a widget that does blah can you can you spin one up or whatever it is so um yeah
1: like is there so like the knock-on effect of that transition sounds like you'd go from like a lot of like you know, what I've saw referred to before as like the Las Vegas strict problem, which was uh, the idea of being you know, like you know multiple conflicting calls to action by everyone doing their own thing, looking out for their own part of the product if you like. Is the consumer platform team kinda of like a you know, a moderator of all this? Like it who who ensures that like uh, that different products don't fight for attention within
0: Yeah. And um, so so that that ensuring of, of kind of coherence and cohesion and that it's not it's not this Las Vegas kind of um, uh, uh, light-up crap show um, that would happen that's another place where leadership design leadership was important I had you know a head of uh, platform design ahead of locals design a head of goods design a head of getaways design the four of them were responsible for the entire consumer experience right yeah. the shopper facing part of groupon could be managed by a conversation of four people all right that's, that's nice. all it took uh because because through those four people you had all the design happening that faced consumers you couldn't get um on that same number of product managers in a room and have a meaningful conversation uh you need way more and engineering leads even yeah. more right one of the things that i realized at, at groupon is um and, and we've talked a little bit about designer-developer ratios before we hit record is um, you need way few designers compared to any other role. Um, maybe not product manager, but definitely to the engineering roles and all the attendant engineering roles of QA and analytics and uh, we have uh, data science and BI and all that kind of stuff, right? You only need a few designers and those designers become this, this point of, of leverage. And so, to answer your Going back to answering that question, three or four d- design directors can meet once a week, yeah. check in on each other and make sure they're not making life miserable for the consumer and then go back to doing what they're doing, right? It doesn't have to be this big, overwhelming kind yeah. of uh, exercise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that was how it was handled. That sounds pretty smart. I mean, one thing that
1: we certainly found in the shift, and I'm sure you we saw traits of this, is that the pull for us away from having like design as a... Distinct group of people who we could call on when needed, like like they have, like some sort of bat phone, and you're like, hey, we need design on this thing. Uh, what we ended up with, uh, and what like what I've seen, you know, other companies still struggle with it, is like some sense of like what I call like you know design amnesia. So like every time you come to a part of the product, you're like, this is the first time you're seeing it, or like you saw it, you you did see it before, but it was eleven months ago, and the whole thing has changed because there's been three other designers on it since then. And what you lack is kind of like domain expertise and a kind of long term vision. Um, it sounds like the design partnership, the centralized partnership, kind of you, you get, you get kind of you know the benefits of both design on demand, but also you also you get like long term, um, you get I guess
0: long term depth of knowledge, right? Right. You you definitely get the long term depth of knowledge. You don't necessarily get design on demand. Like there would be parts of the, and this was a problem. This is actually one of the challenges with this model. There would be parts of the organization that would ask for design and we didn't have any ability to give it to them because we were understaffed or whatever at the time. It wasn't the priority. And and it's the challenge with this model because if if you buy into a centralized design function that is committed to serving the rest of the organization um, instead of embedding designers within each of these product teams... Uh, what you have done is you have taken power and 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 an ability to be the masters of their own future away from these product teams, right? You, you like we did expressly deny people's ability to uh, uh, hire designers. I even once had a product manager or product team say, "We will give you a headcount for a designer, but that designer has to be able to work for us." And I'm like, "No, that can't be how it is, right?" And and it's hard on these product teams that are otherwise being told you're autonomous, be free, go do what you want, to have this key function that they don't have control over. And 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 it's it's I think ultimately it's a good tension to have, and I think it ultimately leads to better product. But it does create a tension, and it requires a different way of of design teams communicating with these. Of product managers essentially, and making sure that the designers are getting way out ahead and understanding where product managers are going and making sure that they're ready to address that. And if it means, okay, we need to open some recs to make sure that we are staffed enough across, uh, you know, to to support all of these initiatives. Um, Or if there are, if we think that there are maybe efficiencies to be realized or commonalities across different parts of the product experience, and maybe that's a way to solve that problem but um it it does provide a challenge it isn't design on demand um uh you know it's not you turn on a spigot and design yeah. starts flowing out then you can turn it off it's not yeah. that straightforward yeah. for for many parts of the organization it is yeah. but there are you know it, it, it not every, you know you can't, can't serve all the people all the time yeah of course right right right. Uh,
1: yeah. um, so speaking of on demand maybe our last topic um there is an industry that does design on demand uh, that you could call agencies. Right. And you've had various thoughts about like, the future of in house and you've cited how it's certainly true that some of the signature top name uh, design agencies have uh, you know seem to have been like shrinking in their numbers. Or um, evaporating. Um, or, or evaporating <laughs> into the actual ether. Yeah. Um what's going on there?
0: What's happened is companies have have Recognized a different order of the value of design. You know, to the degree to which companies understood, businesses understood design and the value of design earlier, it was from an execution function, it was to stay on brand, it was to be appealing, to be stylish, to differentiate yourself, um, but it wasn't as a key strategic contributor to whatever it is that business is doing. Um, with the essentially the ascendancy of Apple and a bunch of other factors as well, that has changed, where businesses are having, have begun to realize design is a core competency for any business that has customers, right. i.e. any business, yeah. and uh, that design can delivers a, a type of value different than other functions we're delivering. And so they're, they're all building in-house design teams. Right. And so uh, that ends up having a couple of pressures on agencies. Uh, agencies are now not competing just with other agencies for talent they're competing with these in-house design teams for talent and one of the things that uh, at least in the specific to the San Francisco Bay Area um, in-house design teams can afford to pay designers way more than agencies can Uh, the economics that's just how it works out as I understand it that is not true in many other geographies but that is definitely true here what is true regardless of geography, though, is that a company that might have a design budget and maybe has had a design budget for a while that used to outsource most of that spend, you know, 80% outsource with a 20% internal to kind of manage those relationships, yeah. that is now flipped where the budget is 80% internal, we're building a team, we're staffing up this capability, 20% outsource. Yeah. Um, even if the and 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 that might be true, even and and the budget for design could double in that case, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. following me with the math there, yeah. um, and that's still way less money to spend on design than they used to have, right? And so the challenges that design firms are facing is that. Um, the size of projects, the client's willingness to spend has flatlined and even declined as they're doing more internal investing in design because they just don't have as much money now to spend externally. And so in San Francisco in particular, you're getting squeezed by both of these yeah. forces um, uh, and it's making, it makes it that much harder to sustain a design agency. Right. Um, so so those, that, that, yeah. that seems to be what's going on in terms of, yeah. of, of that shift. Um, is there any so that makes total sense?
1: Especially at the point about salary, is something I hadn't considered as being like so raw in its impact. But it is just true that the, the the necessary markup and like downtime a consultant is going to face has to be dealt with, uh, and clients pay that. And then that is also clients could also just pay that as a salary differentiator, right. and you know have to have the designer. Um, well, and
0: also yeah. the the in the Silicon Valley, you know, San Francisco Silicon Valley, you know. Uh, originally Google and then now Facebook have just decided to throw giant sums of money at designers yeah. they probably are doing it at engineers as well yeah. and because both of these are machines that generate enormous profits yeah. they have totally changed the hiring market for design where us here at Jawbone, a at pre ipo 15 year old startup have to pay we're not we're not going to offer facebook and google salaries that we're, we can't get quite there but we we have to pay something closer yeah. to that and um uh, uh you know it's just everyone is paying yeah, more right. and but uh, uh and if you're venture funded and have enough of that money you can afford to do it you know design firms that are uh pay for themselves through the profits generated by the work they just the economics doesn't work out yeah. and uh, you know another design firm got acquired by a bank just about a month ago uh, 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 you know I did I just, what was it? Oh, I just have, I have a friend who has a small design firm and I mm-hmm. haven't heard the details, but I found out that they just laid off their whole design staff. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's a much harder business right. to, to run.
1: Is there, any, is there one other thing going on? Like, has the nature of the work changed? I mean, I'm thinking like, I worked in a design consultancy like 2006, 2010 or so. And certainly like I, you know, I participated in a lot of practices that don't, I don't see happening in in companies like when they have a full design in-house I'm talking about things like everything from like sketching workshops to like persona generation <coughs> to storyboards that sort of stuff um, do you think like you know does the work of an in-house team is it in any way different to the work of what an agency would do in its place?
0: Um, not necessarily uh, I actually think so this is one of those things where um, I think there are things that in-house teams, particularly in-house kind of Silicon Valley product tech teams, could learn from agency yeah. work and have either chosen to ignore or or didn't know about. I actually think there are things from agency practice, such as user research and personas mm-hmm. and, and prototyping and visions and sketch workshops yeah. and all that, that could make in-house design better. But in-house design can get so caught up in ship, 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 yeah. that... Um, it loses sight of that ability to pull back and frame the problem, not just try to solve the problem. So I don't, I don't necessarily see that as as, as that fundamental difference. Now, it kind of depends on the agency. There's a there's sure. flavor of design agency for every type of design. And Adaptive Path, at least while I was there, it definitely been shifting much more towards a kind of strategic design consulting. What's interesting about that now is you're starting to see I mean, we just hired a woman who was working at Fjord that had been acquired by Accenture. Uh, McKinsey is spinning up an internal design practice. Right. Um, uh, I just talked to someone who works at Boston Consulting Group's digital yeah. design practice. So these big uh, 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 management consulting firms have all caught design religion and are building out design practices. And I'm sure they are charging two to three times yeah. for those for that exact same design work that your consultancy was doing, that Adaptive Path was doing, but they're now applying it in in a a different mode, doing it top-down, and they're doing that, I mean, they're doing the Lord's work from a design Mm -hmm. standpoint in terms of influencing like the highest level of strategy uh, within these organizations. So I actually think some of it's gone way upstream in that regard, and then the more kind of execution-oriented design work, um, the challenge that agencies are facing is uh, it's not just about um, a boatload of wireframes and then a boatload of mocks and shipping that to someone. And there are smaller, nimbler agencies. I recently did a podcast interview with uh, some friends of mine who have a small consultancy in Austin called FunSize. And they've had to, they basically approach agency design as, um, in, in an agile way. Right? They they, they do two week sprints, they're they're working side right. by side with their clients, which is not at all how I worked in a design yeah. firm before, but you've if you're on that end where you're helping yeah. people execute and ship, those design agencies are having to change how they work and the relationships they have with, with their clients. And so you're right. you're seeing this kind of bifurcation happen right. I think from an agency standpoint where you're either going way upstream or you're, or you're in the trenches yeah. and whatever that middle thing was yeah. that's kind of what's evaporated and maybe what's kind of gone in-house to some degree kind of to the degree to which there is some uh, uh, kind of strategic design yeah. work happening that's happening now in-house it's interesting how like uh, you, know, you could you could say like that before
1: we had like full stack design agencies like strategy all the way down to photoshop and it seems to sort of have like cracked in half. Like strategy has gone to the people who are consultful first and foremost for strategy, the McKinseys, Accentures, whatever. And then the bottom half has gone like to the you know has been specialised around literally plugging into other companies to be executors. So an agency that can kind of do the full spectrum can neither charge for it nor hire for it. Basically, having a
0: harder time. The the one exception seems to be. What still remains of digital marketing agencies, interactive marketing agencies, your RGAs and AKQAs, those types of companies are delivering on that fuller spectrum. Even someone like Frog is trying to deliver on that fuller spectrum. Um, But um, I think there's fewer and fewer of those organizations. And, and it's it, because there's fewer and fewer clients who are willing to turn over yeah. what is essentially running their business yeah. to someone outside of their, uh, outside of their company.
1: That makes sense. You've been very generous for your time. So I'll stop here. Thank you so much for your time. Peter. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank
0: you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. If you like what you've heard, subscribe on SoundCloud to automatically receive new episodes.